The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. What we believe church to be and it's some shifts that are happening. We're going to start off in John 17 if you want to flip there while I'm preambling. And then next week we're going to be talking about prayer. And the following week after that, we're going to be talking about the Bible. And we're, all, we're going to be talking about these subjects from the Bible because the Bible is God's eternal word, and it's much better than just hearing my words or another person's words to have God's word speak to us. Now, with that being said, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into John 17. We're going to sort of jump through some different passages today. Four passages are going to be on the screen behind me. But if you're one of those people that has an old-school Bible, you can preload John 17 and 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, and if you're a Bible scroller like me, it's easy just to click on the arrow. Before I, uh, how's your brother doing? See, I think and love that. Okay, we're going to pray now. Father, we are about to come into your word, but we're not just a church uh, lecture. We are a church family, Lord. We pray. For all of the needs in the chapel family, God, we lift up the Modisets uh, who lost Mama Modisette uh, this past week, Lord, that you would bring comfort and peace and healing to that family, that you would walk with uh, Dave and Chris and the children. Lord, uh, it, it's so hard when we lose loved ones, even when, uh, when we know it's coming. And, and Lord, we pray for TJ, who's in the hospital, that you would continue to bring healing about to his body, that we would see miracles. Um, not, and Lord, today would be a great day for for even more positive news uh, for TJ and Tiffany and Charity's family, God. So bless them with a miracle today, we ask in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, as we approach your word, as we approach this subject of church, there's so many wounds and scars uh, that, that people have, and there are also great joys. So I pray that you would bring out the essence of what you want us to be, Lord, that it wouldn't be a, a man-constructed organization, but an organ organism, a body, uh, a family that sticks together that hangs with each other through thick and thin. So I thank you, Lord, that you've saved, saved us and brought us to this place. Help us to have eyes for you this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen, amen, amen. Okay, uh, when I say church, I need to hear some things that come to your mind, like church, what comes to your mind? First couple words, family, okay, what else? Building, what else? God, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> God. What else? Anything else come to your mind? Oh, just making sure. <laughs> I got a big sign up here just to remind us. Uh, ecclesia. Someone said ecclesia. Ecclesia is the, the Greek word for church. What does ecclesia mean? What? I can't hear you. The called out ones. Yes. Called out. Is it referring to a building? Is it referring to a time? Is it referring to a place? So here's the thing, and I've said this before, I'll say it a hundred times, and I, I nag my children constantly because I can't, I can't get this out of them because they're pastor's kids. They say all the time, hey, Daddy, when are we going to church? And I tell them every single time, we can't go to church, you are the church. We, we, if we go, we are the church. Like If we all got up and walked out into the field and took over the little soccer thing going on out there, the church would not be in here, it would be out there. If we took all of us and we went down to Bush Gardens, the church would not be here. It would be at Bush Gardens. But for some reason, I think we've, we've twisted and we've, we've created church into this junk drawer, and it's created weird organizations with weird things. Um, by a show of hands, who here has ever been just severely disappointed or hurt or bruised by church? Okay? So that's like half of us. At the very first church I got saved at, 
It was a the church where everyone wore suits on Sundays. Where the the first time, one of the first times I went in, I'd gone to the beach to surf, and I didn't know the rules. And I walked in in my my board shorts with a t-shirt and a hat on. And as I was walking through uh, the church, I was grabbed on the shoulder. And mind you, I was not a small human then either. And this this man in a suit said, "You can't go in there like that. This is the Lord's house." And I was so new to Christianity, and I was still as ornery as I am today, probably a little bit more so. And uh, I just said, I, I've been reading, and I'm, we are the Lord's house. That church was also the same church where um, they had a Catholic Bible up front. And some of you grew up Catholic. My, my Filipino side of my family grew up Catholic. But as a honorary Protestant, I used to go up every week because Protestants protest the Catholic church. And I would flip it to the Catholic books, the Deuterocanonical books, the apocryphal books. I'd flip it there because it was the Bible right on this Protestant church altar. And I would submit my connection card every week. And it said, please get a Protestant Bible for the front of our church. And I did it week after week after week. And finally, one day, the senior pastor called me into his office. And he always used to lick his lips. His name was Barry Jones. And he was an Englishman. He grew up on Penny Lane, allegedly. And he, he said, so you're Ryan Tarona. <laughs> so yeah. And he said, I need you to stop writing connection cards to get the new Bible. That Bible was gifted to us by a generous giver. And I thought, hmm, a Bible given by a generous giver, so you've got to keep it. Fast forward two years, I'm on staff at this very same church after that guy retired. I love him to death still. And we had this amazing building. We called it the, it was the old sanctuary. And it had stained glass, unlike this building, which is dark and padded. This is a dark, concrete, padded room. In case you guys didn't know where you went every Sunday, we put you all in a padded, dark room. And this had stained glass and pews. But the youth group that uh, I was part of and leading grew and grew and grew. And we needed a bigger space. So we said, hey, let's take the pews out of this big old sanctuary and get chairs. How many of you think we got to take the pews out of the old sanctuary? Because it took one person saying, if you take the pews out of my old sanctuary, I will no longer give to this church. One person. There were kids coming to Jesus, kids that were coming to Jesus from the streets, kids that were coming out of drug addiction, kids that were coming out of bad relationships, kids that were finding freedom and hope for the first time in their life. But one person with a lot of money and a love for pews prevented us from having a space. It was okay at Southern California. We could meet outdoors like in Florida most months of the year anyhow. At, at another church I was at, uh, I've, I've, had people, I've had people on elder boards take swings at each other like fist swings. You've never seen life lived until you've seen a man in a three-piece suit attack another man in a three-piece suit at a church gathering. <laughs> church, you guys, it's fun. But I think what we, what we need to realize is that Jesus had a specific plan, and there is no plan B. Plan A for the world is the church. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he gave a group of people who believe in him his spirit so that we could be the light of God in this world, so that we together, collectively, by our love for one another, would make known who God is. So this is, John, this is Jesus' prayer toward the end of his life, and, and I need us to think about, think about these words. He says in verse 20 of John 17, I do not ask for these only, talking, he's talking to his father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. And in them and you, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, this idea of oneness is interesting in the Bible. How close are Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit? Like, as close as anything could be. What, what's the closest you've been to another human being? Um, if you're married, it's one answer. Or if you're in a relationship or if you've experienced relationship. Here, here's how intimacy works with humans. We have all these aspects of our life. Physical, spiritual, emotional, social, intellectual. And they all culminate. And the closer you become with someone... Uh, the more unity you feel. It's why we can finish each other's sentences. See how much we love each other? Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And then the Bible gives us all of these one another's, and it seems so simple. Like, why can't we all just get along? One of the chapel family members who I love dearly is in two of the, the Bible studies that I'm in. He, he, remind, he asked me all the time, why are there all these denominations? I just, I don't understand. Why are there Presbyterians and Catholics and Methodists and non-denom and Catholics and all these? Why are these? And I tell him the same weird, lame pastor's joke that I've mentioned dozens of times. Where two or three are gathered, there a new denomination is forming. Because we just can't get along. Now, if you're anything like me, family sometimes has people you don't get along with. But the Bible calls us to be a family. So if the Bible calls us to be a family and God knows how families operate, it should stand to reason that we will have a crazy uncle, we will have a wild cousin in our family. But it doesn't change the one another's of what it means to be one. Here's a few of them. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to read all of them because there's 59 in the New Testament alone. But it says be at peace with one another. Some of you I know want to read this to your children when they're fighting. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Wash one another's feet. This, this is a good call. Wash one another's feet. Wives, you can use this on your husbands. You can say, the, the Lord told you to wash my feet. And see what he says. If he denies you, I can't say find a new one because that's not biblical. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love. I remember when my middle brother was going into high school. He was always undersized back then. Uh, going into high school, he was like five foot nothing. And I was already big and out of high school. And he would get picked on because he was small. And I told him, I said, if someone picks on you, you, you come tell me. And I'm going to come to your school. I'm going I'm to wreck these little children. And now he protects me because he's large and does weapony things. But there's this thing about a brotherly love. that it, It's a different type of love that says, I'm here to protect you no matter what. I'm here to stand with you even if you were being an idiot. That's the type of love I think we need more of in church family. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Everyone kiss. The Bible says to. Someone hopefully you know. Don't kiss a stranger. That'll be their last time visiting. That'd be awkward your first day. It's like, when you come together, eat with one another and wait for each other. We all have that one guy who sits down, just starts eating without waiting. We all have that one kid that does that. You put out the dinner, 
every year at a holiday, every holiday, one of my kids just dives in. So I tell them the same thing. Like, dude, we didn't pray for it. It's poisoned. So my kids, two of them genuinely believe if you don't pray for your food, it's poisoned. That's just because I wanted them to wait to eat together. It says have equal concern for one another. It says to serve one another in love. It says if you keep biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. It says let us not become conceited and envying each other, but rather let us carry one another's burdens. Be patient and kind. We know this stuff, right? We know this. These are the types of things that make sense. Loving, being kind, being a family. Yet for some reason, it's just so hard for churches to get this right, for church families to get this right. My very first staff meeting that I ever went to, I didn't understand the politics of churching. I, had, uh, I was skateboarding to work because I still do that, and it's 20 years later. And, um, and I had fallen that day. Uh, a car had pulled in front of me. I had fallen, and I was, I was a disaster. I had grass stains, and thankfully I landed in the grass. And I got into work, and I was so excited because it was my first staff meeting. It was my first big boy day at a big boy church. It was a large church, maybe about 1,400 people. And I was just the new lowly youth guy. And I sat down, and I was excited because we were going to change the world. We were going to make an impact for the eternal kingdom of God in Carlsbad, California. And I sat down at this church, and the very first thing we did was pray. And then we went over the bulletin. This is like the most monotonous thing to me. And we went through this giant bulletin. Back then it was a trifold on 11 by 17 paper. And we went through and we went through every, back then, do you guys remember clip art? Remember clip art with Clippy? So we had clip art in our bulletins. This is in 1999. And we were advertising a Valentine's Day event coming up. And on this Valentine's Day clip art, it had a picture of a, a, a white stick figure and a black stick figure type clip art. And they were in love over a dinner table or something, like a little heart and then the little clip art couple. But one was black and one was white. And this is my first day. So I'm thinking, change the world for Jesus. Don't cause a ruckus. And one of the, the older members on the staff says, you know, we need to really remove this clip art from our bulletin because it's going to offend some people. So I'm here, first day, half Asian, half black brother, grew up in a very diverse community. And I'm, I'm looking over at my, my boss, my direct boss, and I'm like, are they serious? Is this red hair, blue hair lady serious? I was giving him the eyeballs, you know. And he just puts his hand over, like, calm down. But they have these things now that came out. My wife loves it. It's called an Instant Pot. These Instant Pots build up under pressure. It's like kombucha tea times 100. And I felt my pressure rising. I felt like my head must be bright red, and tears started coming out of my eyes. Just, I wasn't sobbing. I was just tears of fury. And we talked and bantered back and forth as a staff, and by we, I mean everyone except for me, about should we do it, should we not do it, what would Jesus do? Like that was even a thing. And mind you, this is back in the day where we all wore what would Jesus do bracelets. So I had my what would Jesus do bracelet. I had my cargo pants with grass stains. I had my disheveled hair. I had my little backpack next to me. And I finally just said, why are we talking about this? And I stood up, and I yelled things at my very first staff meeting, at my very first church, on my very first staff, and I walked out. I didn't change the world for Jesus that day like I thought I was going to. But you know what we did do? 
We kept in that clip art. Now, I probably didn't behave with one anotherliness, but I'll bet you some of you have felt marginalized because it's easy to feel marginalized at church. Maybe, maybe your life has something in it that doesn't look like everyone else's. Maybe you have a sin that's just more looked down upon than other sins. And, and let me tell you, if you don't think it happens here, it does. I had a conversation with a man who attended here before he moved over to St. Pete. We stood right in the back where that shadow is cast by the projector, and he thanked me that he could come here for six months and feel accepted. And I said, well, why couldn't you feel accepted? Why would you not feel accepted? It's a church family. And he shared with me some of his story of how he had gone from church to church, and because of his sexual views and proclivities, people didn't want to be near him and talk to him. People didn't want to extend a hand of friendship to him, but you guys all did. Some of you knew, some, many of you didn't, but he was grateful for that type of family. It doesn't mean that there is no sin or that we don't deal with sin. The Bible says, let us instruct one another, let us hold one another accountable, let us encourage one another toward godliness, but it also says, let us bear with one another, let us stand with one another, because I promise you that every single church that I've ever been on staff at has gnarly, gnarly people with gnarly, gnarly sins. It doesn't mean we're not going to be wise. You know, if you come in here, we, <laughs> I had a, a man once who was a convicted, um, he was a convicted sex offender, and he came to our men's group, and he had been convicted and jailed multiple times and released. So on staff, I was his, like, liaison on staff, and, and they said, you know, we, we need to make sure that we keep this guy away from the kids. And I said, duh, keep him away from the kids. So we had rules for him. Did we still love him? Yes. Did we still have grace for him? Yes. Was he still forgiven? Yes. Does that mean we let him go teach kindergarten? No, we don't. Some of you know where your is issues are, and we're here to love you. We're not here to look down upon you. We're not here to press you down into shame. We're here to lift you up and say, look, no matter where you are, I'll stand with you today. Jesus and the Father were so closely knit. They were so one. And that was his prayer for us, that we would be one. Imagine a world where you could be yourself and nobody would cast stones at you. How freeing would it feel to, to unleash? And, and let me put it this way. This is all, I can only do this for people who are like married or in a very long-term relationship. Imagine if you could be almost yourself in front of everyone in the same way that you are in front of your spouse. Like obviously close the bathroom door. But other than those things, just free. Just talk the way you talk. Walk the way you walk. Do the things you do. It is a free thing indeed. My wife and I um, were invited on a cruise next year. <coughs> 20% chance of going, right? 20%? I'm going to up it to 30 now since I publicly shamed him into this. He said, what do you think about a cruise? Next fall, I said, a cruise would be great. And I, he said, it's a brand new idea, two hours old. I'm like, I'm in 100%. He said, no, no, we're not in. It's 20%. I was like, 80%. And then I told my wife, and she goes, wait, who's going? Because it depends on who's going. I didn't tell her who it was. She likes you enough, I think. This is it, goes right over there. And uh, she said, is someone else going? Can we, do you think we, if there's just these people, can we pick who goes? I said, I don't think we could pick. It's not our cruise. We got invited. But instantly, the walls came up. The walls of not oneness. Here's how you know you're becoming one with someone in American culture. You can walk over to their house anytime. 
you can be yourself in front of them. You can sit down on their couch and it feels like your couch. You don't have to ask to open their fridge. You could just open it. When my youngest brother comes over to my house, uh, my mom goes on these health kicks where she just eats broccoli, kale, and despair. And um, so my younger brother would come over all the time before he joined the Navy. And we have this treat basket up on the top shelf to keep away from my kids, which doesn't work at all. And Noah will come over and he'll, he doesn't, he, we gave him a garage code. He just punches the garage code, walks in, doesn't even say hello if I'm on the couch. Just looks over at me, smiles, opens the door, gets down the treat basket, and he just rummages. I remember when I changed his diapers. I remember when he first had his first stitches. I remember, I remember when he first walked. And now he's like this grown Navy man doing grown man things. This is what family is. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't have this type of family. My family's broken. I don't understand what love looks like. I'm with you a little bit there as well. See, I didn't know the love of a, a father for a long time. First time my dad, that I recall him telling me he loved me, was on my graduation day from high school. That was odd. So I, I'm doing this whole parenting thing just flying fully blind. I tell myself every day I don't know how to be a dad, but I'm going to try my best not to scar my children too much. My goal is if they can all get out of adult life with less than three years of therapy, I have a win. So I try to love them and be one with them. I try to love my wife and be one with her as much as I can, to be unified in heart and soul, to do things that my kids want to do, because I would rather just read books all day. As, as much fun as Fortnite may be, as, as amazing as some movies can be with my wife, there are a dozen things I'd rather be doing, but they don't create unity. Our culture has fractured us, not only in the church, but in our homes. We have rooms upon rooms where we all scatter to. Jesus wanted us to be one. This is what I hope church will become more and more this year. And here's how. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In a family, we all have a role to play. And I know it may not seem that way, but we do. Um, let me see who I can pick on. Who do I know? Uh, Skip, what are you good at? Boating. Okay. Who here would like to go on a boat? Who here would like to go on a boat and does not get seasick? Okay. I'll bet you Skip could get a, a group together that just boats and talks about Jesus and encourages one another and goes fishing. Fishing? Do you do fishing? I'm guessing he could do that. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that to you, Harry. Harry, what are you good at in life? Skating? For those of you who don't know, Harry's an, a, a very accomplished figure skater. Is that what we're talking about? What kind of skating? Street hockey. Street hockey. Do you really play street hockey? The things I learn. I, can we play street hockey together? Eric, can I have that pair of rollerblades? Oh, he's in the back. Hey, Reed, can I have Eric's rollerblades? Okay, I'm going to go get Eric's rollerblades that he can't ride anymore, and I'm going to go get a hockey stick, 
and we're going to play street hockey. Be nice, though. I'm old. So I'll bet you that uh, here, here's what I know about Harry and Janice. They're very personable. They're very bubbly. When they come into our Monday night small group, they bring their posh Englishness, although I know I'm using that term incorrectly because one of you is posh and the other one's not. I can't remember which. I don't know all my English terms yet. But I know that Mike is good with numbers. I'm not. I know that Don Zicko loves children a lot, which is why she has a lot of them. I love children a medium, which is why I have a medium of them. I know that some of you are passionate about foster care, and some of you are like, if I fostered someone, I'd murder someone. I know that some of you are passionate about education and teaching, and others of you need desperately to be educated and taught. I know that some of you love to sing, and some of you should never sing in public again, except for to Jesus. I know that some of you can read the Bible, and it comes alive, and words and concepts and systems jump off the page, and some of you read the Bible, and it feels like you're licking drywall. I know that some of you are natural encouragers. You're the sweetest people, and others love to be around you just to have the drippings of encouragement upon them, while others of you are like cantankerous canker sores. We all have our role to play in the family. Don't nudge people when I say things like that. Don't. The Bible says that there are all sorts of gifts. There's the gift of evangelism, pastor, prophecy. There's a gift of faith and discernment. There's a gift of miracles. There's a gift of healing. There's a gift of teaching. The Bible even calls celibacy a gift. That's a gift that most single people would like to return. The Bible calls martyrdom a gift and mission, being a missionary a gift. The Bible even says voluntary poverty is a gift. I know some of you are like, I don't want the gift of celibacy. I don't want the gift of poverty. I'll take faith, wisdom, discernment, and money. Here's the thing about what a church ought to be. If we're all, all playing a role, then this becomes a family. If we're only a few of us playing a role, then this becomes an orphanage. I don't know if you've been to an orphanage. They're very difficult and chaotic places. An orphanage is a few people trying to manage a herd of people who are much less mature. A herd of people who aren't playing their part. I need some tips from some of you parents with older children. I'm trying to teach my kids how to do chores. I literally don't get it. I, I'm trying to, but here's my problem. And if someone can give me advice after the service, that'd be great. I have my kids do an activity, and whatever they are tasked with ends up messier or worse off than it would have been if they never touched it in the first place. And they say, they, whoever they is, they in the parenting God's sky, you need to let them do it and learn. But I don't like cleaning things up three times. So I say, can you do this? Example A, we have glassware at our house. I have no idea why, because our house is covered in tile. We also have our 10-year-old empty the dishwasher. So about once a week, our glass count goes down by one or two. Just ching, click, clack, cling. I find chunks of glass in the dishwasher. I find chunks of glass in the sink. When I turn on the garbage disposal and shards go flying. And he doesn't tell us. He just picks up the main pieces and throws them away. And I look, I say, where'd all our glasses go? And then we go to Old Time Pottery. We buy more glasses because I'm dumb. There's pl plastic, you know. But I'm, I'm from California. You have to be hippie, you know. That BPA stuff will get you. Unlike shards of glass in my carotid artery. But I'm trying to teach him. I'm trying to teach my kids how to use the bathroom properly. I thought we were out of the woods. We had just been freed of diapers for a few years, and then my wife had to go and get pregnant. 
I feel like I'm going to be changing. I feel like I'm going to be changing diapers until. Thank you. And I did. Sidestep for the Men's Band of Brothers Bible Study. Next week we start the book of James. But on the last Saturday of each month for the Men's Bible Study that meets at Fishhawk Bagels, we're calling it um, Sexy Time with Sauce. Sauce stands for Song of Solomon. So on the last Saturday, we're only going to be talking about sex, romance, and love from the Bible's perspective. That's at Fishhawk Bagels, 8 a.m. on Saturday. I'll see a lot of you there only on the last Saturday. <laughs> Sexy time with sauce. Yeah, it's biblical, homie. But I, I just can't figure it out. My wife is still trying to figure out how to get me to do my roles. We yell at our kids every day to pick up their clothes off the ground, and every day I leave a line of my clothing all the way to the closet. I don't know how people pick up clothes. I tell my kids to make my bed. I haven't made my bed since 1994. This is hypocrisy, I know. I need to repent. This is why pastor's kids get scarred. We are all gifted. We all have a role to play. What is your role to play in this family? And I don't just mean here, but we do also obviously have things. If you like to sing and you're not singing, you should be singing. If you love kids and you're not teaching kids, you should be back there following and saying, hey, can I follow a teacher? Uh, Maybe I don't want to teach, but I need to go help because we're trying to create a space where families with kids of special needs can be equipped and discipled here because that's an area where, where I've seen in church after church that I've served at that there is a very limited number of resources for families with children with special needs. And I'd like to raise up people here that say, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll be someone's person. When, when the family is here on Sunday, I'll connect with them outside of church. And when they're coming, I'll make sure that I'm here so that I can spend time with their seven-year-old or eight-year-old in the back so that I can help them have an experience to meet Jesus. We need things like that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, I can't teach, but man, if I could take one kid and just love them and their family well, I have a heart for kids like that. Or maybe you're somebody that's tech-oriented. You're like, you know what I'd love to do? I'd, I'd love to try to operate that camera. I'd love to record, record the sermons and I'll follow you around or pan out or zoom in. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not techie. Maybe you don't love kids. Maybe you don't even like human beings, but you love praying. You know what we need here more than anything? We need people who pray. We need people that cover this place in prayer. We need people to come in before services on Sunday and just walk the aisles praying. We need people to pray for marriages. When you see a couple walk out, pray blessings over their marriage. When you, when you see couples and, and clearly they've been fighting, when you see kids and clearly they're being disobedient, pray for them. One of the things I love, love about the chapel is that right after service, I don't love this part, a lot of people just run. But then there are people, if you stay for about 10 minutes, you'll see people just praying everywhere. They're praying in the lobby. They're praying in the kidsmen area. They're praying over here in the back. They're praying in the, the corner over here. People just start praying. Maybe that's your role, to be a, a person who covers this family in prayer. Whatever it is, this is going to be the year where I'm going to encourage you to find your role and live in it. If you're like, I don't know what my role is, then we'll, we'll just try you out in things. We'll just test drive it. We'll throw you in some situation, see if you sink or swim. We'll have you organize a missions trip to go feed the people so Derek can have a break from organizing it all. We'll have you buy the bananas and the sandwiches and get it all ready. We'll give you a key to the building. This is just a building to me. Is Edwin in the back still? Good. Well, I'll give you key and code to the building. (laughs) People say, well, you can't do that. This is our church. No, it's not. It's a building. We are the church. This is your home as much as it's mine, although I sleep here and live here more than you do, but not as much as some of you. 
This is a tool that we have from the Lord to use to reach this community, to care for one another, to open up when there's hurricanes and people need shelters, to stockpile things and hand out water, to make sandwiches, to bring down to Tampa, to teach our children about Jesus and morality. It's just a tool. We are the church. The church is here to be this family. I didn't get to where I wanted to get today, but I think you get the gist, is that if we're a family and we all have a role to play, we're going to start discovering it. In this discovery of roles this year, we're going to be switching from small groups to micro churches. And all that really means is we're going to start being the church like on Monday nights in my group. It's not just going to be me that thinks and prays and plans. I'm going to say, hey, which of you here loves to, to pray and can keep a log of our prayers? Which of you here loves to, to go help people that are in need and can organize a trip for us on a Monday night so that we can not change our night of the week but just go help, go feed someone in a soup kitchen, go down to Metro Ministries and pack bags and boxes of clothing for people in need? It's where we all start to play our role, and it's not just couple parents with a lot of kids, but we all step up to the role that God has created us to become and fulfill, to push back the darkness in our city, to see the areas of need and brokenness, and to put out a hand of healing and help and hope. I know this sounds schmaltzy, but I think it's what the church is. And I think, for me, I am super happy with everything that has gone on in 2018 at the chapel. I read all these statistics and all my pastor friends bemoan the church's statistics. And they're like, the church is doing this. We got to be cooler. We got to try that. We got to do this. And I'm like, look, here's what we got to do. Love the people that God has brought to our building and train them to go love people outside of our buildings. That's it. I don't want to build another building. Edwin really wants to build something, you guys. When you go see him after this, say, Pastor Ryan said, no more buildings, just more love, more people. We don't need more buildings. Between all of us here, we've got like uh, 250 homes. That's a lot of building already. And we're already already paying the mortgage and internet and utilities. We can use those buildings. Some of you are like, you can't come over to my house. That's all right. Jesus prayed on that mountain before God the Father. Lord, I pray that they would be two as you and I are two. I pray that they would be afraid. And it is scary. But I'll tell you what. If you let one person in, and they bite you, and they hurt you, just go find someone else. But keep letting that biter in. When, when Silas bit me on the calf for the first time, I didn't kick him out of my family. I gave him mouth guards. <laughs> if we're going to be the church, it involves all of us coming together, caring deeply. So let's see how we do with that today. Edwin? I said a lot of things that I shouldn't have said. I handed out keys to the building. Alarm codes will be duly given. It's not my building or yours. I guess technically it is mine, actually. I'm, I'm on the paperwork. <laughs> Touche. Take that. That's why you should never put a guy like me on a piece of paper. But this is going to be the year of church. Next week, we're going to be talking about prayer lab, and it's going to be fun because we're going to tandem teach it. I'm going to be interviewing someone who I think is one of the most valuable prayer warriors at the chapel, and we're going to have some time of practical prayer in service again like we've done before, but we're going to do a little twist on it. So uh, with that, we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to close this out, and I'm going to bless you, and we're going to run out of here and go change the world for Jesus by protesting racist clip art and denominations that fight incessantly.
And we're just going to love one another with all that we got. Yeah, fam? Okay. Father, I pray that you would give, uh, give us the wherewithal to be one today. That you would show us in our lives where we are scared to let people in because we are scared of the judgment. And Lord, maybe some of us here have a right to be because we've been jacked up in the past. We've been beaten, bruised, shamed, and guilted. I pray that today people would find the freedom that you've given. The freedom to be right where we are and be fully loved. And the freedom to be loved so much that you won't leave us where we are. You'll pull us from the mess. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be church this week. Lord, I, we pray also uh, a special blessing for one of our, our brother churches, sister churches, whatever they call them, over in Brandon area. South Brandon, God, today is becoming Overflow Church, and, and the teaching reigns are being handed to a new pastor. We pray a blessing over that church this morning. Lord, I ask that Overflow Church would be anointed and covered by your Spirit, that they would see people come to know you from the trenches that they would see addicts find freedom, that they would see children make decisions for Christ, that they would see marriages restored. Lord, we pray that blessing over this season of that church and their new life beginning this weekend. And for us, God, we need your grace. We need your love. We need your covering over TJ and their family. We need your covering over the Modisets. We need your covering over the Navas as she battles her lymphoma. We need your covering over the Doninis as she battles cancer. Be our God. Show off this year in Jesus' name. Amen.